0: from washington dc this is on the ground whether it's the fight for voting rights infrastructure or for real aid to the suffering cuban people progressives are confronting issues that are urgent
1: This country is at a crossroads. And if the federal legislation for the People Act, John Lewis Act, D.C. statehood is not passed, our democracy will crumble. We think that happens somewhere else. But what's happening across this country, they're pushing us back not to the 60s, but 1950s, 1940s. And with a very sophisticated
0: social media war waged by the U.S. against Cuba and ongoing attacks in the U.S. on teaching historical facts, it's time once again to talk with our media critic, John Jeter.
2: We're really seeing, I think, a showdown shaping up, a heavyweight battle, using social media, but also traditional media, between the establishment like the Atlantic and the people, right? The people's ability to use social media, to actually get the truth out there.
0: All that and more on the show. Welcome to On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital for July 23rd, 2021. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, in critical areas of public policy and law, progressives are battling to overcome Republican obstructionism, Democrats' obedience to U.S. empire and corporate media's complicity in it all. Take Cuba, for example. President Biden issued Thursday new sanctions against the head of the Cuban military and the division of the Cuban Ministry of the Interior for what Biden calls sham prosecutions for peaceful protesters and for what Cuban officials call prosecutions of violent criminals, including provocateurs paid by the U.S., But Biden did not announce that he would be keeping his campaign promise to lift the 243 additional sanctions placed on the island by Trump, which, combined with the 60-year-old economic blockade and COVID, are devastating the population, leading no doubt to that one day of unprecedented street protests in Cuba on July 11th. Felix, a Cuban-American who lives in Michigan, rallied to end the embargo on Tuesday in front of the Cuban embassy in D.C.
3: They mounted a soft coup using the internet. They tried to mount a soft coup by lying to people that are suffering from hunger, telling them that there were ships ready to come in to provide food and relief, but the Cuban government had rejected. It was a lie.
0: So rather than listen to Cubans like Felix, who are not calling for a An invasion of Cuba, rather than listen to the majority of people in the United States who repeatedly say they want to end the embargo, which has cost Cuba more than $130 billion over the decades, Biden meets instead with a small clique of far right Miami Cubans who probably did not even vote for him. Meanwhile, as Biden says he is reviewing reinstating the ability of families to send remittances from the U.S. to Cuba, and anti-Cuba groups use the hashtag SOS Cuba. Progressive organizations in the U.S. are actually working to help the Cuban people. Code Pink held a press conference Tuesday, July 20th in front of the Cuban embassy here in D.C., announcing that they, in partnership with other groups, had raised more than a half million dollars to send the first 1.6 million of a total of 6 million syringes to Cuba so that Cuba can administer COVID-19 vaccines. Today, former presidents Lula da Silva of Brazil and Rafael Correa of Ecuador, actors Jane Fonda and Mark Ruffalo are among 400 people, present company included, who are signers onto a full page ad in the New York times urging Biden to lift the Trump policies that are strangling Cuba. Now all eyes are on Sunday, this Sunday, July 25th, 2 PM in front of the white house where activists are scheduled to rally and welcome Cuban American teacher, veteran and activist Carlos Lazo and six other people who are walking from Miami to DC to end the blockade and deliver a petition to the white house. Lawmakers and activists were arrested this week on Capitol Hill during at least two mass actions of civil disobedience. Nearly 80 women were arrested Monday, July 19th, as they blocked the street near the Supreme Court in an action to support voting rights, a $15 an hour minimum wage, and an end to the Senate filibuster rule. The action was held to mark the day in 1848 that participants at the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York signed the Declaration of Sentiments. Unlike that document, considered only by white women, Monday's rally was very diverse and highlighted the particular burdens of poor women of color and LGBTQ plus women. Mindy Bergeron-Lawrence of the Maine Poor People's Campaign
4: is among those who spoke. I've worked at McDonald's for 18 years and still don't make a living wage. And during that time, I have seen countless women working hard to take care of their families and struggling to make ends meet. They work two jobs, they receive food stamps, and some talk casually yeah. about going to the food pantry or filling up on bread mm. so that their children can have a nutritious meal. Sell it. Women, and especially women of color, are disproportionately impacted by all of the evils named by this campaign. That is why I am here demanding a federal $15 minimum wage. Voting right protections and an end to the filibuster, which are all necessary if we are going to make systemic change. On
0: Thursday, Representative Hank Johnson of Georgia was among those arrested in another voting rights rally. He was at least the second member of Congress arrested in the last two weeks, participating in acts of civil disobedience for voting rights as Texas Democratic lawmakers who fled that state remain here in D.C. lobbying members of Congress to pass federal voting rights legislation. As apocalyptic fires in the West rage, heat records are shattered in the U.S., and massive floods rock Germany and China, The Center for Biological Diversity Action Fund on Tuesday gave the Biden administration a grade of C- because of his support for a number of pipeline projects, such as Line 3 in Minnesota, and his failure to reverse the vast majority of environmental regulatory rollbacks introduced by the Trump administration. Not to be outdone when it comes to low grades, Congress still has not passed infrastructure legislation that will begin to address the climate catastrophe senator bernie sanders chairman of the senate budget committee said this week that biden's 3.5 trillion dollar budget which addresses some climate priorities will need to be passed through the budget reconciliation process which only requires 50 votes which democrats do have if senators such as joe manchin of west virginia and kristen cinema of arizona stay with the pack that's if So stay tuned. And while international news has focused on devastating flooding in Germany and China, corporate media has all but ignored an Amnesty International report that documents fresh evidence of sexual violence against men, women and children intercepted while crossing the Mediterranean and forcibly returned to detention centers in Libya. The report also says that Europe is complicit because it, quote, shamefully continued to enable and assist Libyan coast guards in capturing people at sea and forcibly returning them to the hellscape of detention in Libya, despite knowing full well the horrors they will endure, end quote. The U.S. Department of Justice announced Thursday a so-called strike force to help reduce gun violence by disrupting illegal firearms, trafficking in key regions across the country, including New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, the San Francisco Bay Area, Sacramento region, and Washington, D.C. Attorney General Merrick Garland said, quote, all too often guns found at crime scenes come from hundreds or even thousands of miles away. We are redoubling our efforts as ATF works with law enforcement to track the movement of illegal firearms used in violent crimes, end quote. The announcement came just days after gunfire erupted outside of Washington Nationals baseball game in Southeast D.C. on July 17th. And the night before that incident, a six-year-old girl, Naya Courtney, was killed on the street by a stray bullet as she rode her scooter, also in Southeast D.C. And on just this Thursday, diners and pedestrians on 14th Street in Northwest D.C. scattered as two men started shooting on the street, wounding two men. Garland says the new strike force will include community input, but it still stands in contrast to calls by police reform advocates to instead invest more in the root causes for crime, such as lack of jobs and job prospects. For example, in D.C., a so-called gun recovery unit has been the source of several incidents of brutality and death at the hands of police a community organizer in Chicago, Naretta Landon, reacted to the formation of the strike force to the Chicago CBS affiliate. They have to talk to the people in a community that's living there, that's living on the blocks, that's dealing with the people selling in the front of their house, that's selling on the corner, that has the guns. You have to talk to the people and see what we need. And finally, rights groups are demanding a probe of the FBI's apparently very limited 2018 background investigation into U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. In August 2019, Senators Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat of Rhode Island, and Chris Coons, Democrat of Delaware, asked FBI Director Christopher Wray to provide a full picture of the Bureau's background investigation of Kavanaugh. Last month, they finally received a response which revealed in part that the FBI set up a tip line that received more than 4,500 tips, which were just turned over to the Trump administration. Senator Whitehouse told the New York Times that the FBI ran a, quote, fake tip line that never got properly reviewed that was presumably not even conducted in good faith, end quote. The attorneys for Christine Blasey Ford, who testified that Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her in high school, responded to the revelations in a statement. The FBI's letter, they said, confirms what we knew, that the Bureau's investigation into Ford's allegations against Kavanaugh was a sham and a major institutional failure. The attorneys Deborah S. Katz and Lisa J. Banks said that the FBI refused to even interview Ford or the corroborators listed in their letter to the Bureau's director and that the FBI should have referred the evidence it was receiving To the Criminal Investigation Division, and that FBI Director Ray must answer the question as to why he failed to do so. They added, "Quote, because the FBI and Trump's White House Counsel hid the ball on this, we do not know how many of those 4,500 tips were consequential, how many of those tips supported Dr. Ford's testimony, or how many showed that Kavanaugh perjured himself during his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee." our nation deserved better, end quote. And those are headlines and happenings. We'll have more media and culture headlines later in the show. This is On the Ground. Stay with us.
5: President, CEO of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, Melanie Campbell! No No justice! No
1: peace! No justice! No peace! The question we have to ask ourselves, what are you doing, what are we doing to stay in good trouble? This country is at a crossroads and if if the federal legislation for the People Act, John Lewis Act, DC statehood, right, if we're talking it's not passed, it's not passed, our democracy will crumble. We think that happens somewhere else, but what's happening across this country Dr. Elsie Scott, I see you out there, right? Is they're pushing us back, not to the 60s, but 1950s, 1940s. Can we understand, and when they come for me, they're coming for you. Tell your neighbor. When they, turn and look at your neighbor. When they come for me, they're coming for you. That's what this is. So when we went out there, yes, as black women, strong, 40 plus organizations strong. We said we're gonna unify black and white, young and old, all those in between. Latina, Asian Pacific Islander, faith, LGBTQ. The movement is alive. So I'm not gonna let them yank me off of here. All I came to say, I just came by, just stopped by to just thank Congressman John Lewis, as we're on the what street is this? Black Lives Matter Plaza. And thank him to, yeah, and our mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser, thank her for having the courage to step up at last year to make sure that we never forgot what the young people did for us and with us. They stood and they. they on these streets and across this country and understand all of this is connected. What they're doing to the DACA kids, what they're doing to black folks, what they're doing to LGBT and I can go on and on and on. We are not going back. We're moving forward. We're going to stay in good trouble. Thank you, John Lewis. We're here. We're here and we're not going nowhere. This is our democracy and we will fight for it to the death. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Now, Shero is here! Okay, I just said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to get in trouble. I'm just going to say love you, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, for the powerful move she made to get us in. so thank you, Congresswoman.
2: Let me now bring to the microphone the Reverend Bill Lamar of Metropolitan African Methodist Episcopal Church and the AMEs. The other day, you guys had a conference, didn't you? Yes, sir. And they said we are in the fight. It's in when it comes to AME, it's in their DNA. Yeah, that's right. Reverend Lamar. you,
5: Good evening, Washington, D.C. Good evening. Good evening to you. It is a pleasure to be here with you. We gather in the spirit of our ancestor, John Lewis, and we believe tonight that that spirit of good trouble, that spirit of agitating for democracy, is a spirit that not only rested on John Lewis, but a spirit that rests on each and every one of us. Tonight, I've come to share with you that ours is a difficult task but it is a task worth fighting for. It is a task worth giving our lives for, a task made holy and noble by the one who made all of us and who sustains all of us. Our task is the task that young John Lewis had in Pike County, Alabama. The task of breaking up the stubborn soil of this land. Like John Lewis did in Pike County, it is our job to break up the soil of Imperial America, the ethno-nationalist soil that we see today, to break up the tyrannical soil that we see in our Senate today in state legislatures today to break up the settler colonial soil of the imperial united states of america to break up the slaveocratic worker exploiting extraction capitalist soil of the united states of america and after breaking up that soil our job like john lewis is to plant the fragile seeds of democracy in that soil. Make no mistake about it. Regardless of the history that you have learned in school, the soil of America from the beginning has rejected democracy. It has rejected the notion that all humans are created equal. It has rejected the notion that we are one nation, one people, one world under God. It has rejected the soil of democracy while using the rhetoric of democracy. American politics chokes the flourishing of the democratic through voter suppression through pornographic wealth inequality, through regressive systems of taxation, through a racialized prison industrial complex. We are here to say like John Lewis, no matter what the Senate does, no matter what the neo-Confederate legislatures do, we will not stop breaking up the ground. We will not stop planting seeds of democracy. We have come tonight not just to talk and to hold up signs and to sing and to pray. We are here to create democracy where democracy has never flourished. We see, we see in the neo-Confederate South, we see in Mitch McConnell. We see in Texas and in Georgia them doing the same thing their grandfathers and grandmothers did. They are making voting harder. They are gerrymandering districts. They are allowing money to flood the political process. In the words of Bob Marley, your belly is full, but the people are still hungry. Like John Lewis. We will keep working the soil together so that something different, something democratic, something multiracial, something multiethnic, and something multi-faith may emerge in this land. The crop that we seek to harvest, fields full of democratic possibility, require the sunlight of solidarity across every group and every people.
0: That was the voice of the Reverend William Lamar, pastor of D.C.'s Metropolitan AME Church, and before him, Melanie Campbell, president and CEO of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, speaking at the Good Trouble Vigil held at Black Lives Matter Plaza Saturday, July 17th one of 150 such gatherings across the United States, pushing for the passage of the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Amendment Act to mark the first anniversary of the death of Lewis, a civil rights era icon who served in Congress as a representative from Georgia for more than 30 years. Thanks to Lydia Curtis for her coverage of the vigil. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. on the ground on the ground voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Iverum. and with a very sophisticated social media and cultural war waged by the U S against Cuba this month and ongoing attacks in the U S on teaching historical facts. It's time once again, to get down to some serious talk with our favorite media critic, John Jeter. Former Foreign Bureau Chief of the Washington Post, two time Pulitzer Prize finalist, and author of Flat Broke in the Free Market How Globalization Fleeced Working People. He joins us again from Limon, Costa Rica. Welcome back to the show, John.
2: Thank you, Esther.
0: Well, as you heard and as you know, we have some big topics on our plate for July. But first, I'm going to start with some headlines on media and freedom of speech issues that I know that we are following. So we talked about Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida last month and his attack on what he called critical race theory, really the teaching of history. Well, this month, when this Astral Turf Cuba protest broke out, some Cubans in South Florida blocked a major highway, the Palmetto Expressway in Miami-Dade County. And that was back on July 13th. And despite the passage of that recent state law banning protests that block traffic, and that makes blameless anyone who strikes or even kills a protester in the street, these protesters were allowed to be on the highway and not only be on the highway, but police actually put their cars across the highway so that no oncoming traffic could harm these protesters. Now, of course when DeSantis signed this law, it was to target Black Lives Matter protesters. And he's in a a position of hypocrisy right now because he says that these are different protesters and the law shouldn't apply to them. Civil rights lawyers are looking at the law anyway, and this just gives them more ammunition to go after the law because it's a violation of freedom of speech in the First Amendment. With no proof, the U.S. is accusing Russia and China of having links to hacking and cyber attacks and actually threatening sanctions over this. But this week, an investigation revealed that hacking software called Pegasus, developed by an an Israel-based organization called NSO, has been used in attempted and successful hacks of smartphones belonging to journalists, government officials, and human rights activists all over the world. And some of the more notorious examples being cited are the phone of the fiance of murdered Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi was hacked, as was the phone of another Mexican journalist who was found murdered. And on Thursday, Reuters reported that a phone used by French President Emmanuel Macron was hacked. So this is a brewing scandal And it is pointing to the real source of a lot of cyber warfare going out there. But we'll see if the Biden administration actually says anything about this new proven hacking and cyber security problem.
2: It's very Orwellian, isn't it? The Governor DeSantis and the sort of double standard for this law, uh, which makes me suspect that he is running for president already.
0: So also on the subject of Israel, Facebook removed posts about the Palestinian political prisoner, Khalida Jarar, who is being held without charge and was denied the opportunity to go to her daughter's funeral. And because of the cruelty of this case and what's happening with her, news about her went viral anyway. And it's just given more proof of Israel's apartheid system. The fourth headline is that PBS has taken down Voices from the Frontline, China's War on Poverty, a documentary directed by award-winning filmmaker Peter Getzels and co-produced by PBS SoCal with a foundation led by Robert Lawrence Kuhn. And this documentary reveals how China took 100 million citizens out of poverty And the peace organization Code Pink is mounting a campaign to have the documentary restored. And they say that PBS, by pulling down this documentary, is contributing to anti-China rhetoric by obscuring China's successes, not only in eliminating poverty, but in battling COVID-19. China has had less than 6,000 deaths in a population of more than 1.4 billion people. There will also be a rally here in D.C. Tuesday, July 27th, 11 a.m. at the Supreme Court for whistleblower Daniel Hale. And you'll remember that Hale was accused of giving an investigative journalist truthful information about the secrets about the U.S. drone warfare program. And one of the horrific facts that he revealed is that nearly 90% of those killed by drone strikes were not the intended target. And finally, speaking of whistleblowers and journalists, two media watchdog outlets, Media Lens and Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, have documented the complete blackout in mainstream news institutions on the revelation by Icelandic newspaper Stunden that the U.S. indictment against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is based on false testimony from a man Sigurdur Thordeson, a convicted child molester who has admitted that he lied about Assange to avoid charges against himself. And based on this news that no one's reporting, investigative journalist John Pilger tweeted, having led the persecution of Julian Assange, the free press is uniformly silent on sensational news that the case against Assange has collapsed. Shame on my fellow journalists. And then Media Lens wrote, a fundamental feature of corporate media is propaganda by omission. So those are some of our headline media headlines from July. And John, when I think about that last line from Media Lens, I couldn't help but contrast that with it's not propaganda by omission in terms of Cuba. It's propaganda by fake news. <laughs> so I've been really riveted about this story, which is really still unfolding about this massive, you know, PSYOP, this perception management campaign being run in Cuba. We reported on it last week and the Spanish analyst, Julian Macias Tovar, he has detailed how a flurry of fake accounts, robots, and algorithms were used to create this big hashtag SOS Cuba from a single Twitter account in Spain. And then he linked this account to this Argentinian, Augustin Antonetti, who is part of this right-wing Fondacion Libertad that has been involved in a number of these same types of campaigns against Evo Morales in Bolivia, against Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And so to have this campaign, which consisted of like 1,500 tweets over two days from this one account and all these accounts, hundreds of accounts Uh, associated with SOS Cuba being created, you know, in the hours just before leading up to these rallies. So when I thought about this, I thought about all the other, what I call perception management campaigns that we've seen ever since the Iraq war. And we know that the big scene of Saddam Hussein's statue being torn down and all these news reports about weapons of mass destruction we know they were all fake and how the corporate media just went along with it but anyway this was a very sophisticated campaign that was obviously coordinated in advance with the right wing cuban community in miami and heavily funded you know to the tunes of millions of dollars and it also included the enlistment of paid artists in cuba That we'll talk about later, you know, young black hip hop artists who are on the payroll of the U.S. So what's your take?
2: I just find it stunning, really, the information that is withheld from the American people. And it reminds me of a reporting trip I took to Venezuela in 2003, I believe, when Hugo Chavez was the president. And I was there for about a week, returned to Argentina, where I was based, and I got a phone call from the Washington Post, one of the editors about my expenses. And there was a problem because I spent an inordinate amount of money. I think it was like five or $600 on phone calls. And of course the insinuation was that I was making personal phone calls back to the United States. And I know that wasn't the case. So I checked the phone bill and I saw how I was calling the opposition in Venezuela, which is very much like the Cuban opposition. And every phone call had a 202 Washington, D.C. exchange. And this just goes to to suggest how the CIA is deeply involved in these psyops, these propaganda campaigns, which are meant to win over hearts and minds. And combined with the headlines, as you mentioned, the withholding of information, it's easy to understand how these things can catch fire sometimes. I don't think they're going to be very fortunate in Cuba, But you can see how you can understand how these propaganda campaigns can sometimes catch fire between withholding very relevant information and carpet bombing of the American people with propaganda.
0: Right. I was at a, a rally in front of the Cuban embassy earlier this week, and there was actually a man from Michigan, Felix, a black man from Michigan who was from Cuba, who talked about. From his family's perspective, this barrage of social media misinformation, people were being shown images of Black people being killed in Colombia, which the media here didn't cover, right? And they were presenting this that the Cuban soldiers had killed people in Cuba. But one of the most important things he said was how the coverage here was so horrible because it totally did not mention the Cuba blockade, right? And that the blockade is the reason why people were out. They mounted a soft coup using the
3: internet. They tried to mount a soft coup by lying to people that are suffering from hunger, telling them that there were ships ready to come in to provide food and relief. But the Cuban government had rejected it. It was a lie. It is pretty clear. That we're on the wrong side of this issue, and that we're using hunger and despair against the Cuban people, my people, my family members, uh, who have no food, who have no oil, are suffering rolling blackouts. And it's not because of the Cuban government. The Cuban government is being oppressed through the suffering of the Cuban people, and, and it must stop
0: last week I played a video that Kay Prisker did at Breakthrough News, really kind of breaking it down. This is the new warfare that is happening. They were really determined to get out in front of the social media campaign and win this war that they're waging because they totally lost the war back in May during the uprising in support of Palestine. Because in the case of Palestine, the people in Sheikh Jarrah were able to distribute videos really showing the ethnic cleansing of their neighborhoods, how these violent Israeli mobs would come through their neighborhoods, throwing people out of their homes, throwing out their possessions, harassing people, The showing the soldiers invading the Al-Aqsa Mosque and harassing and terrorizing worshipers when people were praying. So... That was such a a vicious assault on people that people were able to see around the world, just like they were able to see George Floyd be murdered, right? And so it was clear to me that when you look at the social media campaign in Cuba, they were determined that that wasn't going to happen and that they were going to put out some fake images and fake information. As a matter of fact, the Black Lives Matter movement, which you know has been involved in its own controversies here in the States, They put out a statement in support of the Cuban people, but condemning the blockade, saying that the blockade is the reason why this is happening. So their statement said Black Lives Matter condemns the U.S. federal government's inhumane treatment of Cubans and urges it to immediately lift the economic embargo this cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis. Since 1962, the United States has forced pain and suffering on the people of Cuba by cutting off food, medicine and supplies, costing the tiny island nation an estimated $130 billion. And so it was interesting to see Black Lives Matter be attacked for putting this out. It was a very coordinated media campaign attacked by the Atlantic, places like that, real mainstream organizations that are a part of the imperialist project. So anyway, this is how we could see how coordinated this was and how quickly corporate media was able to jump on this fake news highlight these AstroTurf rallies in Miami that were giving special like white privilege to block highways, you know? And so that's really the latest on that.
2: And we're really seeing, I think, a showdown shaping up, a heavyweight battle using social media, but also traditional media between the establishment like the Atlantic and the people, right? The people's ability to use social media, to actually get the truth out there. And I saw that, or or it was seen in Venezuela, for instance, is one good example, before the coup uh, in 2002 against Hugo Chavez, where he, Chavez had the the vision to actually subsidize citizens' media, neighborhood radio stations and newspapers, and they would get out the information that has helped sustain the revolution to this day. And that's what I think we're going to have to see in the United States, where we actually have a citizen's media from the ground up, on the ground, as you would say, Esther, that actually is engaged in the fight against this establishment media, which is a complete blackout, pun very much intended, of real news, news that can be helpful, news that can help us democratize and make wise decisions in our democracy. I think that's what we're going to see Going forward, are these heavyweight battles becoming increasingly pitched between the oppressor and the oppressed?
0: OK, we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back.
2: Mastered economics because you took yourself from squalor. Slave. Mastered academics because your grace said you was scholar. Slave. Mastered Instagram because you can instigate a follow. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these- Slave masters posing on your dollar.
5: Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Look
4: at all these slaves masters. On your Look at all these slaves, masters been it time, I'm on mine, I be
1: minded, mine. Every time on my grind, I'm just trying to shine. Make a dollar, government
5: they want to not die. The petty kind might kill you cause they see you
0: shine. This is On the Ground, and I'm Esther Ivarum, speaking with John Jeter, our media critic with so many important media and culture stories for this month. And John, the next, I guess, big story involving just information this month is this continued debate or twisting of the whole issue of critical race theory. And we know that critical race theory was created by scholars in the 1970s and 80s. To put into a legal framework what we know is true, that racism isn't just a product of individual bias, but embedded in legal systems and policies. But I think that there's a link between this whole attack on basically history being taught and the disinformation campaigns that we were just talking about being run against Cuba. And we've seen them run against China and Venezuela, as you mentioned, and Nicaragua. And we saw them run against Iraq telling lies about what's really happening, causing a big portion of the population to be sucked into this psyop.
2: Yeah, no, no, no question about it. I mean, I think the attack on critical race theory is really a, an attack on knowledge production, right? Knowledge production that we could use to free ourselves, to extricate ourselves from this dystopia in the United States. And it's really reminiscent of, uh, I heard an academic in the last year describe the Dark Ages as a period when science and the production of knowledge was subordinate to the church and to political concerns. Well, that's what we're seeing now. Critical race theory is not terribly controversial. It is the idea that racism persists because uh, institutions which are maintained by white supremacy need racism to persist. That's not terribly controversial, if you understand the United States and its leading economic and social indicators are very similar to what apartheid South Africa was at its height. And so it's a pitched battle, once again, between the oppressor and the oppressed to control the information. As the late uh, William Grider, our former colleague at the Washington Post, wrote, and who will tell the people? And that's really the question going forward. Who's going to tell the people?
0: It's something to watch. And according to Education Week, at least 26 states have introduced bills or other measures to district what they are calling critical race theory or to limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism. And 11 states, including Florida, which we've discussed, have en- enacted these bans and teachers who are speaking out and resisting this type of censorship are saying that basically these politicians are trying to keep them from teaching the real history and connecting it to things that are still going on. I mean, we have this horrific cases of Native children, the unmarked graves of Native children being found in Canada, up to 1,000 unmarked and undocumented graves at this point. And there were more of these types of residential schools here in the United States than in Canada. So we've had the, the first remains return to, I believe, uh, one of the Sioux tribes during the past week, remains that are more than a century old. So this is horrific, and this is real history. These are real facts. These are things that really happened that are still happening. And if we don't fight back against this obvious effort to erase facts, we're going to wind up with a a manufactured history that can be used by people who want to just justify our continued genocide by saying, well, these things didn't happen.
2: The objective here is the issue of race, I think a slightly lesser extent gender, but the reason is because that's how they fight. The oppressor fights a class war. They use race to divide us. And what white people, most of them, not necessarily through benefit of their ignorance, but because they have been miseducated, because they are taught history. What most white people don't know is that they are raced, just like black people are raced. And someone... Uh, As the the Latin phrase goes, qui bono, who benefits from that? And these are the questions they don't want us to ask. And that's why, you know, you talked about the Indian schools in Canada. I think that's so amazing. The objective of the Indian schools was to kill the Indian in the children, in these Indian children. Well, think about that for just one second. and Think about the conversation we're not having. An attempt to kill the Indian in an Indian is a monstrous act. How can you be a fully formed human being? When you are engaged in trying to kill who a person naturally is, these are the conversations we don't have. And we're all the worse for wear because we don't have these conversations.
0: If I have a chance, I want to play this clip from a reporter working on this story about the residential schools for Native children and how she wasn't taught that in school. And see, we just keep on having generation and generation of American children and American people not taught the real history. And there are consequences for that. You know, that means that they can continue to basically sucker people into another war, for example, you know, the propaganda being put out about China. You know, I always remember, I think it's Richard Pryor or was it Muhammad Ali talking about, you know, who's going to like, who's going to go over go over and like fight like you know at that point, you know, I don't know, a billion Chinese or it wasn't even a billion them, but the idea of that was ludicrous. Like, you know, you who's gonna do that, you know, for what? For who? Who whose war are you fighting? You know? The world can't keep paying the price for Americans being ignorant. I remember going to a town hall that Phil Donahue did here at one of the Quaker institutions here and it was really a truth and reconciliation session where soldiers some soldiers who went to Iraq got up and testified about how they were told that you know Iraq was involved in 9/11 that they went to Iraq because they thought that they were avenging 9/11 and we know that that was a lie and that was an intentional lie put out to whip up that kind of war fervor in American people, but the Iraqi people shouldn't have had to pay for our ignorance. The Iraqi people, their their country's been destroyed and- Iraq had to pay for that misinformation campaign for, you know, Colin Powell going before the UN with the lies about yellow cake uranium and George Bush and Condi Rice talking about, you know, you don't want the the warning signal to be a mushroom cloud or whatever, you know, all that kind of crap she was saying. So there are consequences for Americans being misinformed and unfortunately the rest of the world, just in our lifetime, from Vietnam to Cambodia to Iraq to Grenada to Venezuela to to Afghanistan, you know, where we we're leaving now after having spilled what, trillions of dollars in blood and treasure, with no change in The conditions there, really, the Taliban is going...
2: The Taliban is stronger than ever. The Taliban is stronger than ever. (laughs) We've done nothing. 20 years, 20 years, we've done nothing.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. But but kill and be killed. So, you know, in terms of just propaganda and this connection to telling the real history, just the fact that reporters here could not tell the truth about this 60-year economic blockade compounded by Trump's more than 240 additional sanctions on Cuba, and then now COVID on top of that, that they couldn't tell the truth about how that is causing the misery for people in Cuba, just really told me that the the corporate media hasn't learned a thing since Iraq and that they will just swallow the bait full measure.
2: Lock, stock and barrel, right?
0: Yeah. And spin that out. And you should just hear these people on corporate media on these uh, cable news say, it's disgraceful. And the the last thing I'll say about Rubio and these other right-wing Cubans out of Miami, they want the US to kind of create an internet so that they can continue this fake social media campaign because they see they, they got some mileage out of it, right? And then the shame is that Val Demings, who wants to... Challenge Rubio for that Senate seat. That she is coming out and condemning Cuba because of this this alleged crackdown on Cubans, even though Cubans have come out and in mass in support of their revolution since these astroturf protests. Really disgraceful. This comes right after Cory Booker and Donna Brazil participated in these uh, rallies supporting the M.E.K., this terrorist group that has murdered people in Iran just to prop up that part of U.S. imperialist policy.
2: You know, when you talk about Val Demings, a black politician from Florida, a former cop, very much like Kamala Harris, and the demagoguery that they participate in on behalf of white supremacy, Africans all over the world have a reverence for not just Fidel Castro, but for the Cuban people and the role they play in not just liberation movements, but African liberation movements. And so, look, without Demings and these other black politicians, the demagoguery they participate in, the, the white supremacy that they prop up, it's disgraceful. It is a blasphemy, really, to the African people, to the Cuban people who've done so much for the African revolutions around the world.
0: We have just uh, five minutes to kind of go over some culture. I mentioned just in passing that the hip hop was actually used to help destabilize Cuba, the National Endowment for Democracy or other kinds of CIA groups or some of the millions of dollars that's funneled into the right wing Cuban community in South Florida to destabilize Cuba, uh, funded hip-hop artists, young hip-hop artists. So that's just more shame in the category we just spoke about, you know, as these young Black men allow themselves to become like the Clarence Thomases of Cuba in service to white supremacy and U.S. imperialism and, you know, allow themselves and their art and their identity to be used this way, to get in bed with uh, uh, former plantation owners, people who have no love for not only Cuban people, but definitely not for black Cuban people. And, you know, as they like slaughter us in the streets here. So that's just another shame. But anyway, that's one thing we want to mention Biz Marquis, his death this month was his song. You got what I need, but you say he's just a friend. You, you got what I need,
6: but you say he's just a friend. You say he does Yeah, a
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, Right, he's just a friend. Yeah, that was the song. Which was which was really, you know, one of those songs that really helped to introduce us to the possibilities of hip hop. The way that he infused it with comedy. is just a legendary figure. We've lost so many in the last few years. But that's the first time I remember thinking, oh, this this is something, this is really an art form that can be used for so many different storytelling purposes. So yeah, man, Biz Marquis, that was one of the greats.
0: The big release of the summer so far, even though it's, it wasn't, it's in theaters, but also on Hulu is Summer of Soul. Uh, it's a documentary by Questlove that really unearthed all this footage from the Harlem Cultural Festival they called it the Black Woodstock in 1969, right? And man, the more the movie goes on, the more you're like enraptured by it because you see Stevie Wonder, you see Nina Simone, you see uh, Denny Zulu, African dancers, you see the Fifth Dimension, and then the the gospel act. that's re- That really, really made me cry. And I saw Mahalia Jackson ask, the staple singers to sing with her because she didn't feel that good. So there's to hear my precious Lord duet between Mahalia Jackson and a young Mavis staple. And I had my mouth open. I was just like, you know, and then if I wasn't sitting like that, I was like, I was starting to cry, you know? Because, you know, it was a marker for me of the last 50 years, and it just made me think about really everything that we have gone through as a people since 1969. It really kind of brings back some of the same discussion that we're having today about culture, about who lives and dies, you know, whose story gets told, whose story gets squashed. And just the fact that this footage sat somewhere for 50 years, then nobody thought that it was worthwhile to produce just says something about whose story gets told, right? which is exactly what we've been talking about. so
2: We're central to this enterprise. It would not be the same without us, so they don't want to admit that, but that is the truth. That is the historical fact. That's what they're afraid of.
0: Yeah, and that's what some soul is symbolic of, totally. Totally. Well, anyway, so I'm glad we were able to get in some cultural items. Uh, I've been speaking to our media critic, John Jeter. Thanks again for joining me, John.
2: Thanks for having me, Esther.
0: And that's it for today's show. Special thanks to John Jeter, Lydia Curtis, and Chantel James for their work on the show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's capital. You can always check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also like the show at onthegroundshow on Facebook or Twitter. And thank you to all of our supporters on patreon.com at onthegroundshow for your encouragement. Our podcast, On the Ground with Esther Averam, is also on all your podcast platforms the new podcast the social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says on the ground the music we played this hour included truth don't die by femi kuti just by run the jewels one thing by a marie and our theme music is voodoo child by Jimi hendrix don't forget the rally to end the embargo and sanctions against the people of cuba Is Sunday, July 25th, 2 p.m. in front of the White House. The website is letcubalive.org. That's letcubalive.org. I'm Esther Iveram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show.org. thank you